Welcome back to Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm joined for another episode by my co-host and friend, Brian Kaufman. We have a great show for you today as we continue our football preview series with the Pac-12. But first, a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it, you can get it there. And if you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review. So let's get into it, talking some West Coast football. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm ready to talk West Coast, Best Coast, especially before some of these West Coast teams become Midwest or East Coast teams. The Pac-12, as we know it, at least as we have the last couple of years, excited to get into it tonight. I think maybe two episodes ago, we were I made some sort of uh, OC reference. I feel like we needed the OC... OC, some OC theme music right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Little royalties are a little too expensive for, yeah. for our, uh, our budget. But yeah, if we could, maybe we would just sing it, you know, just California. Yeah, there you go. California, <laughs> here we come. Perfect. Nailed That's it. Right. Pac-12, <laughs> here we come. So let's get into our last time on the Pac-12. A few things you should know about the 2021 season and the 2021-2022 offseason. So... Number one, the Pac-12 was a two-team league last year. Utah and Oregon were the only two teams to finish the season in the AP Top 25, while half the league finished under 500. Not a good year for the Pac-12. Early in the season, Oregon was everyone's darling. They beat Ohio State in the horseshoe in Week 2. It seemed like they were going to be a clear CFP contender in that game. C.J. Verdell rushed for 161 yards and really made the the Buckeyes defense looked bad um, and I think sent the state of Ohio into a panic. But in October, Oregon lost to Stanford in one of the season's weirdest and most controversial finishes. Uh, Oregon took a bunch of penalties on Stanford's last drive. Eventually, Stanford tied the game as as time expired and won in overtime. Oregon rebounded. They won five straight, and they brought a number four ranking into a late November matchup with number 24, Utah, um, and Utah pounded them. Utah got off to a rough start to begin the season. They were one and two with a couple losses to uh, to BYU, and then, oh, I'm drawing a blank on the other one. Was it San Diego State, their, their second loss? That sounds right, yeah. The year? Yeah, they, they lost. Let's just put it this way. They lost to some teams that are not in the Pac-12 to start the year. <laughs> Things were not looking good, but they rebounded. And by the time those two teams met, uh, the Utes pounded Oregon 38-7 in Salt Lake City and then did the same thing two weeks later in the Pac-12 championship game with a 38-10 win. And where they mauled them was up front. Uh, Oregon was outrushed 399 to 137 in those two games. And Ducks quarterback Anthony Brown was sacked seven times. So those were the only two good teams in the league last year. And Utah really established himself as the as the clear-cut top team. Uh, just, just completely outplaying Oregon in those two games. But as good as Utah's finish to the season was, no team in the Pac-12 was as good as BYU, which went 5-0 against the Pac-12, including a win over the aforementioned conference champion, Utah. They beat Arizona, Utah, Arizona State. Then they beat uh, then they won at Washington State, and they completed the sweep with USC. No team in the Pac-12 was as good as BYU last year, which uh, I think, again, just speaks to kind of how embarrassing the season was for, for the Pac-12 as a whole. And then... The Pac-12 had some pretty big-time coaching changes this offseason. So I would say the top three, you could make an argument it's three of the top four most prestigious jobs uh, in the conference had coaching changes. So at USC, Clay Helton out and, of course, Lincoln Riley in. At Oregon, Mario Cristobal left for Miami and uh, Georgia defensive coordinator Dan Lanning in. And then at Washington, Jimmy Lake out, Kalen DeBoer Fresno State's former head coach in. And then the last thing, you know, something you may have heard of, uh, there's been a little bit of realignment news going on. So UCLA and USC headed to the Big Ten. This will be the last year in the Pac-12. And Pac-12 Media Day was last week, and uh, Commissioner George Klyavkov had some interesting words for the Big 12. He said, quote, with respect to the Big 12 being open for business, I appreciate that. We haven't decided if we're going shopping there or not yet, end quote. 
So George Klyovkov coming out firing at the Big 12. That is kind of that's what went on in 2021 and the offseason. Any any realignment thoughts before we, we kind of get into the football? Yeah, I mean, it's not unexpected. It It's still weird, I guess I would say, right? Like that, I guess you could say about this like super conference direction that we're heading as a whole. Like we're, I don't think we're done. More stuff's going to come out. And I mean, I say it's not surprising. It, it, it feels weird to look at USC and UCLA as big 10 schools. They're, they're not. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like the kind of, uh, not so cordial jabs, you know, it, it does keep it interesting, but yeah, I, I I'm excited for the last year of this conference kind of as we've known it, um, because who knows what it's going to look like down the road. We don't. And so, um, kind of one last ride for, for what we've known. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sick of hearing about it and talking about it personally. It seems like everybody else can't get enough of it. And maybe that's just the yeah, fact that you know, I, I agree with you. I, I read uh maybe it was Andy Staples mailbag or something, and it was like um, you know, I asked if you wanted realignment questions or to talk about football, and overwhelmingly you just said give me more realignment. And I I'm with you. Like maybe maybe I'm a I'm a simpleton and I, I don't act like I understand all the logistics and finances and reasons for these things happening, other than for money, obviously. But like I, I don't, I don't, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think you were going the same direction. Like I don't need, I don't need to hear about it. I, I don't care to hear about it. UCLA is not a big 10 team, no matter how long they go there. And so I, I don't know. I'm with you, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you summed it up nicely. The reason I wanted to do this is because I like college football and that starts with the games on the field and the traditions around it and the rivalries and the fan traditions and the pageantry, not because I like college sports administration, uh, you know, so, you know, that, that, that's just me personally. I mean, there's certainly some interesting things about it. I will say this about realignment. I don't think that these two conferences, the big 12 and the PAC 12 are well-served sniping at each other. Because I think if you, if they are going to do things, I think what is in each of their best interests, like, I think they have the same best interest at heart. So what's going to help the Pac-12, I think will help the Big 12. And that would mainly be ensuring that they both have access to a college football playoff system going forward. So I just don't think, like, I think they're better served working in concert with one another than sniping at each other and doing things to tear down the other one. I think they have more power together than they do apart personally. I would agree with you. And and I thought that was the direction we were headed down. Right. And, and I didn't deep dive into why, but I know after they had some conversations, it was suddenly like, couldn't, couldn't figure it out. And and so now it's just sort of like, yeah, it, it, it seems to make a lot of sense to work together and try to be a part of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Hopefully they figure it out and, and, and we keep getting a good product on the field. Well, either way, that's that let's get into the ball. Uh, like we said, that's, that's what we want to talk about. We are so close to the season. Dude, I, I was having daydreams this past weekend about <laughs> like what it's going to be like once the season gets underway. So I am excited to talk to actually talk some more ball here. And uh, I did confirm Utah started one and two. The two losses were BYU and San Diego State. So one Mountain West team, one former Mountain West team. Not ideal for your conference champion to to drop those two games. But they did turn it around when Cam Rising came in uh, as as took over as quarterback. And, uh, you know, we're going to get into this, but they're a team that I like a lot uh, this season. So let's get into our four downs. And, Brian, I will start it off. Uh, we talked about already, the Pac-12 was bad last year. How bad were they? In 11 games against the Mountain West, they went 5-6. and six. Will, the Pac-12, will the Pac-12 be able to win this year's unofficial Pac-12 Mountain West Challenge? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, listen, I don't think we're at a point where the Pac-12 having a losing record against the Mountain West is like a sharpie it on the calendar recurring annual type of event. So I do think that the Pac-12 bounces back to have a winning record against the Mountain West. I don't, uh, it, I mean, so we have our show sheet here. Is this the complete matchup schedule that right here? That is the complete matchup schedule. Okay, so we've got eight games and, and Stephen has them lift, listed off. Air Force and Colorado, Boise and Oregon State. Is that Colorado State and Washington State? Fresno and Oregon State. Fresno, USC. 
UNLV Cal, and then San Diego State has Arizona and Utah. So if you really if you really dive into it, I mean, I don't think Utah is going to drop that game. I think San Diego State definitely clobbers Arizona. I, I would imagine. I, listen, and maybe it's closer than I made it seemed, and 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 I don't need to go game by game as I make my pick live. I think it'll be close again. Like it was close last year when the five and six and and maybe a, a ball or two here or there bounces their way because I I can't imagine that happening in back to back years though maybe maybe you feel a different way. I think it's gonna be close. Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think that San Diego State, as much as I like Utah, I do think that game can be close. I think the fact that it is at Utah means it's a win for them. But I think like if you want to kind of break it out, I would say that's a almost definitely a Pac-12 win. I think San Diego State's other game against Arizona is almost certainly a Mountain West win. So they open their new stadium week one, new brand new stadium where Qualcomm used to be. I think it's called Snapdragon, Snapdragon Field, <laughs> something along those lines. They open against Arizona, and I don't see any way that's a loss for uh, for San Diego State. So Snapdragon Stadium is is the name of it. Um, so I feel like there's one in one right there, and there's six other ones. I think Fresno could probably split between Oregon State and USC. Uh, so call it two and two. Uh, Cal will beat UNLV three two Pac twelve, and the other three. I mean, who knows? You know, e- either yeah. way, I guess the bottom line is whether they whether they can win the the challenge or not it still ain't good to be five and three against the mountain west it's like something you you want to figure out the sec doesn't go go five and three against the sunbelt no no it's not good i mean your your point is well received that the, that the bottom half of the pac-12 is is uh not performing particularly well and that those seem to be the teams that are playing in these games so i i think you're i think you're right on that i think um to sort of pivot, right? I, I mean, I, I don't want to go too quickly to second down, but I'm going to jump ahead because I, I want to talk about the top of the league. Yeah, I mean, you talked last year, Utah and Oregon are uh, was sort of a, a two-horse race, right? The only other team in the preseason this year that's receiving votes to win the league is USC. And we can get into USC a little bit later on because uh, there's some some hype and obviously a lot of change and a lot that's up in the air. Um, but I'm curious... Outside of those three teams, Utah, Oregon, USC, that are receiving votes in the preseason poll to win the league, is there a team that you think could make some noise and, and possibly challenge in the conference? Yeah, I, I do. And I so it's a little bit of a cop-out because they are the, the number four team in the Pac-12 media poll. Yeah. But I, I do like UCLA. I, I like UCLA. And, you know, I as I was thinking about this show tonight, if there's one thing that I feel like has be, probably become clear to our listeners across our first two preview episodes, it's that I like a couple things. I like mobile quarterbacks and I like continuity and consistency. And UCLA, they have those things in a league that's really tumultuous. I said that, um, you know, I think the I think it's the top three, but maybe it's three of the top four most prestigious jobs in the conference head coaching head coaching turnover. Well, if UCLA is the four, right? Those are USC, UCLA. Uh, Oregon and Washington, I think, are the clear head and shoulders top four most prestigious programs. Of those four, UCLA is the only one that didn't have any turnover at the head coaching position. And Chip Kelly seems to to be getting things rolling a little bit now, right? Uh, they had a they had an eight win season last year. They're they're on the right tr- uh, you know on the right track. Um, they uh, they return for a fifth year. Dorian Thompson Robinson. He's a mobile quarterback. They have a really good running game with Zach Charbonnet, who had over 1,100 yards rushing last year. So UCLA is the team that I like. And uh, you know, from a betting perspective, they're they're plus a thousand. They're ten to one. So I don't think that's the worst pick in the world. If you're like, hey, I want a team that has just had a steady, consistent offseason and might be able to leverage that to make some noise. I don't think that's a terrible pick. Yeah, so we're going to get into USC specifically, but like, do you think that, you, like, would you slot them even or ahead of the Trojans as far as like, I mean, I know we sort of a- agree that Utah's the the team in the South maybe, and we can get more into that, but like, 
So by it's the way, like, just a reminder: there is no they they, they scrapped the divisions. Right, right, right. They scrapped right, the divisions late in the game for going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For going to championship game, right? Yeah. So there you go. So I mean, do you obviously with that pick? But I sort of took USC out of the equation for the argument. So if I were to add them back in, and let's say like even betting aside, just like do do you like them as much or more than the Trojans? It's really so. I think it's really hard to take. I mean, this is largely a gambling, a gambling based show, sure, right? In a sure. lot of aspects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I yeah. think like at plus one fifty to win the conference or whatever it is right now. Let's say yeah, plus one fifty for USC. I think that's wildly inflated. I think they are perhaps the most talented team in the conference. But you know, how is all that talent going to come together? There's so much change. There's so much turnover. Like things don't happen overnight. And yeah, like if this was fantasy football, sure, I'm going to take USC. I mean, what? They have the league's best quarterback and the top two receivers and all three of them are transfers. I mean, is that is that right. fair to say that like those are the yeah. three? Caleb Williams is the best quarterback. Jordan Addison and Mario Williams are the two best receivers in the conference. Uh, it sounds fair to me. Yeah, And then Travis Dye uh, at running back, a transfer from Oregon, is at worst the uh, one of the top three running backs behind, you know, maybe Charbonnet and, um, you know, maybe like uh, uh, what's Utah's running back, Thomas. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's like there's a, there's clearly a ton of talent there, right? But how quickly can you go? Have we ever seen this work? What is the best example we've seen of taking – 15 plus trans- transfers and turning into a conference champion. I don't I don't know if there yeah, is one. I don't know that we have one. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Mel that, Tucker I think took that- a lot last year. Mel Tucker took a lot and it worked out really well for Michigan State. Yeah, but I would argue that it w- might look a lot different if one specific one is out of the equation, right? So like I, I like and and he's got a lot of talented guys too, but like if you don't have Kenneth Walker as part of that transfer class, which of course he gets credit for, but like that dude was just a monster on his own that like I guess Wake didn't see or didn't pay close enough attention to. Now all the guys you mentioned that USC got um could fit the bill. I mean, you're right. Like Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in the conference. If you, if you're throwing the best quarterback in the conference out there, you're going to be feeling good about it. So I guess uh, to, uh, we, we sort of got into third down, but, but to more formally ask the question and, and maybe I'll tweak it a bit here live is that if you're a USC fan, like what is a success? I mean, they're not always reasonable, I guess, but what is a successful first year? Because the trajectory looks good. You know, I, I was, I was framing the question originally around remember what I asked about Miami in the ACC preview, which is like, Hey, he's recruiting like a national champion and he's got the excitement going on. And to a certain extent, I think both those things are true for USC as well. But for this year, year one, and it's a little bit different with all these transfers. Like if you're a USC fan, what is success? Yeah. So I I think that, you know, for them, the schedule isn't super hard, which is which is the good news. Um, they start off with Rice. They go to Stanford, which traditionally I've had a lot of trouble with, but I don't think is that hard of a game, to be quite frank. Okay, and and then they have a Fresno State at home, which Fresno State, Jay Kaner, uh, you know, at quarterback is, I mean, that could be a challenge, but it's a home game against a Mountain West team, so should win it. Um, I think they will... I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they struggle more than you think to start the season, but if they can make it through, you know, let's call it the first four to three to five weeks and start to get things going, like I think they can have a really good season, but I think a good season for them and a r- realistic expectation is nine wins and be in contention for the Pac-12 championship, you know, up until the last week or so. Um I don't think I think it's wildly unrealistic to say in your first year as head coach, go take 20 transfers, win the Pac-12 and go to the college football playoff. And I feel like based on a lot of the preview conversations, preview magazines, the gambling markets right now, that's essentially what people are saying is you need to go win the Pac-12 this year and better yet, really go to the college football playoff. And I just don't I don't think that it's realistic or like it could happen. Yes, it could happen, right? It could be a perfect combination. Um, but 
like, let's talk about the fact that their defense still, I don't think is going to be very good last year. It was, it was terrible. And I think it's still a major question mark. I mean, they, okay. So they were 94th in the country in yards per carry. And I feel like the run game isn't something we've talked about a lot. And I feel like we're going to talk a little bit more about it tonight in the PAC 12, because there are some good running games, but if you can't stop the run like that, you're not going anywhere. And then, they didn't rush the rush the passer either. They were 91st in sacks per game. So, I don't know. I don't like their defense. I think they eventually will put up a lot of points, but again, this just it isn't fantasy football. Like they're going to lose a game you, you don't expect them that you think like, "Wow, that was weird." And I mean, if you look at the we talked about it, I think it was last week. If you look at first-year coaches and what it takes, a lot of the really successful coaches that we see right now and think of as uber-successful, it, it takes a little bit of time. And I don't think Lincoln Riley is any different. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I, I like what you said about fantasy football because it, it does feel like that. Like, it feels like... Now, I'm, I'm going to be really testing my old NBA knowledge here. But, like, there was that year where the Lakers added Gary Payton and Carl Malone, and, like, everybody was like, it's it's over. And, and they didn't win. And it just, like, didn't work as well as you expected it to. And it sort of reminds me of that where it's just like, oh, I know who Caleb Williams is. Oh, he's USC's quarterback now. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I saw Mario Williams, I, right? I saw I watched Travis die for like what feels like seven seasons at Oregon, just tearing people up. I do. I would agree with you that I think people are maybe underestimating a bit the the what it takes to put these pieces together, and, and there's a reason that experience matters. And we talk about when we're talking about teams that we think might do well in these conferences, there's a reason we cite returning starters, right? Like it's, it's people who have played together. It's not, you know, a foolproof thing, but of course experience matters. So you're talking about these guys who are all playing on a team together for the first time. I think they added 10 defensive players alone in the portal that like, they're just gonna, Hey, I hope this works. And you're right. Like maybe it will, but uh, you, you're not going to bet on them being the first team to figure this out on such short notice. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that they can be, they'll be talk. We'll, we'll be talking about them, but I, I like what you say about dropping a game that you don't expect them to. And I would particularly say that could happen relatively early on. You mentioned like Fresno being able to split their PAC 12 games. Like I could see that being the one in the third game of the season for USC where like, all right, yeah, they did win at Stanford and, we thought it might be a trip up game and then, and then they come out and drop that one to Fresno. So I could definitely see that happening. And I'm with you. I think eight, nine wins is, is solid in the conversation is solid, not pac 12 title contenders this year. It's not realistic. Yeah. And like, that's, that's fine. Right. I mean, they right, could right, easily right. go, you know, let's keep this in mind. Caleb Williams is a sophomore. <laughs> right. He's a sophomore. Right. Yeah. He's going to be back next year. Like they could go, if they go nine and three this year, they will be, preseason top five five yeah yeah right? i mean i got it you got to imagine um they're they'll bring in a ton of talent in this year and then i you know i just think you gotta i think the best way to use the portal and i don't know that anybody would dispute this is you gotta pick your spots and you know fill needs strategically and i get that riley is trying to to fill a talent void right now but I, it's going to be an interesting experiment. We'll, we'll see how it works out. I mean, I guess I never really answered your question, like, if I prefer UCLA to USC. And I think that's a really hard thing to say to, like, me to put my money, you know, me to put that on the line right now and say, like, yes, I definitely like UCLA. I think they're going to finish ahead of them in the stands. I think they're going to beat them. Um, what I can tell you is if the choice is 10 to 1 on UCLA to win the Pac-12 or one and a half to one on uh usc i'm i'm taking ucla every day of the week there's just there's no value right now on usc right yeah i'm with you and and i'll i'll formally reveal my agreement when we get to best bets later on but i like your pick a lot i like your pick a lot all right fourth down let's uh let's move down the conference a little bit where there's a little more question mark so we kind of already agree caleb williams is going to be a huge impact uh this year he's gonna be one of the best players in the country in competition for best quarterback in the conference but there are a lot of other starting quarterbacks uh or transfer quarterbacks who will be starting in the league you have 
Emery Jones coming to Arizona State from Florida. Bo Nix uh, coming to Oregon from Auburn. Cam Ward, everybody's favorite. Washington State's quarterback coming from Incarnate Word. Michael Penix now at UW from Indiana. And Jaden DeLora, interconference transfer uh, uh, at Arizona from Washington State. I never, inter, intra, I don't know. Something I should know. Inter. Inter? Yeah. Ooh, man. (laughs) Stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, intra. Intra. I was wrong. Intra. I, was wrong. I think I had it. Intra. I think I had it you right had the it first right. time. You nailed it. I just edit all it. this out because it was yeah. right the first time. Intra <laughs> conference transfer, Jaden DeLora, now at Arizona. So, Brian, aside from Caleb Williams, which of these transfer quarterbacks do you think will have the biggest impact on his new team? All right. So, uh, I'm going to throw a. Uh, blind resume at you as part of this, okay? And it's been going around the web right now, so maybe you've seen it, but but play along with me, even if you have. These are two quarterbacks that were in the same conference last year, okay? I think you know where I'm going with it, but I'm going to do it. I don't. I don't. Right. I'm very excited. Okay, so this, this is conference games, statistics and conference games, and I'll try not to let it drag on because it's a visual thing. QB1, 65% completion, about 176 yards per game, 13 touchdowns to eight picks. QB2, 67%, two percentage points higher, completion percentage, 209 yards per game, so 30 or whatever, uh, a little bit more. 10 touchdowns, so a few less touchdowns, six INTs, a few fewer INTs. QB1 added 250 rush yards and five touchdowns. QB2 rushed for more yards at 433, a couple fewer touchdowns with two. So... Those are two resumes that like I would call neither one great, but I would call them comparable at least, right? And so QB1 is Will Levis, Kentucky's quarterback who's being talked about as a top 10 pick in early mock drafts. I'm sure that's, you know, that's more tools driven than numbers driven, especially given what I just read you. And quarterback two is Emory Jones from Florida. And so this is in conference games, in SEC games last year when they were both in the conference. So I would argue, right, again, the stat lines I read you, not not anything that blew your socks off. Maybe it's more of an argument that we should slow the Levis hype argument than a positive statement about Jones. But I think what it actually is to say is that the guy made a mistake. Sure, he didn't live up to hype at Florida. There was a lot of hype. Um, but I, I think he can play. And I think he was a good pickup for Arizona State. I don't think, like... I'm not here to argue that they're going to be competitive uh, as far as the conference championship race, but I think he'll have them competitive in games. I think he'll have them fun to watch. Um, And, and so my answer to this question uh, is Emory Jones. I I think it was an interesting pickup and I'm interested to see what, what he can do there. You know, I feel like going into last year, he was kind of everybody's breakout guy. Yeah. Yeah. He He was was supposed to be the guy. Do you think there's uh, anything to the notion that Dan Mullen is actually a really good offensive coach and he's going to get a downgrade in coaching going to uh, Arizona State? I I would agree with the notion that Dan Mullen's a a very good offensive coach. Um, uh, That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I... I think he he did. He got opportunities. I just think sometimes it's one of those things where like a change of scenery can can help a guy like that, where it just like for whatever reason it wasn't working. And so I think I you know just kind of a, an opportunity to get back on track. Where do you stand on Cam Ward? This is the guy that everybody is all over right now. Like at at certain times he was the number one. You know, not not when Caleb Williams was in the portal, but there were certain points where he was like, this is the guy in the transfer portal uh, coming from Incarnate Word. They're kind of trying to do the Washington State's kind of trying to do the the whole um, Bailey Zappy Zach Kitley thing where they import the quarterback and and OC from Houston Baptist to Western Kentucky. And uh, Washington State's doing it with with Eric Morris and Cam Ward, both coming from. Uh, incarnate word I mean I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna pretend like I ever saw incarnate word play but (laughs) is you know can can this guy is it too big of a step up or can this guy really make a difference for Washington State 
I don't, it, it does scare me. I mean, I like I don't act like I know how to scout quarterbacks, but that is like, like you said, like who, who did Incarnate Word be? I, I know he was throwing for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns or whatever it was, um, but I am uh, – he wasn't facing Pac-12 athletes chasing him all over the field. Now, I think he could come in and, and have an impact, um, but I, I'm not – like I'm scared to – bank on it like I think it's really ex- exciting and he's in an offense that he knows he's familiar with which is good like we we talk about experience in in systems and and the value there so at, you know he he's like almost removing one barrier to entry of success which is like he's not going to learn a whole new thing presumably uh, there will be aspects I'm sure um so I, I think he's set up for success but I, I it, it's it's a lot like with USC, like we were talking about before, it'll happen and it has happened, but I just have difficulty like predicting that type of level of success. What do you think about him? I I think that it's harder to go from the FCS to the Pac-12 than it is from F- FCS to the conference to Conference USA, and sure. I think there's going to be he's not going to be, he looks to be super impressive, like the stats, the highlights, everything. But I do think there's a bigger learning curve going from FCS to conference to, to the PAC 12 than a G five school. So I am, I'm tempering my expectations. I do think to, I mean, I don't need to say everything you just said, because I agree that it's good to have the continuity. You know, I like continuity. Uh, so it's good <laughs> to have the continuity with the OC, but I'm not going to like go and say he's the one of the top, three quarter like let's put it this way i'm not taking him over caleb williams i'm not taking him over uh dtr i'm not taking him over like i I don't know would you take him over over emory jones Hmm. i mean i guess in theory i already said no but it's (laughs) it's uh i think i think like the if it works, it could work better than like, I don't think Emory Jones is all of a sudden going to blow the world on fire. I, it's more of like a hedge my bets with, with Cam Ward, right? Like, well, either way, let's, let's just leave it at this. We're not taking him over Cam Rising, uh, DTR, or Caleb Williams. Is that, no. is that fair enough? Yep. So he's at best the fourth best quarterback in the conference. There you go. And, and, and I think it's going to take some, some stuff going right for him to get there. Yep. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to our buying and selling. And uh, we'll we'll stick with the quarterback theme. So I'll kick this off with the, the thing that I am selling. I am selling Stanford and Tanner McKee. So, you know, this is another guy kind of similar to Will Levis, where if you look at any of the, the draft stuff, uh, Tanner McKee is high on those lists. Uh, Pro Football Focus had him as their number three 2023 draft eligible quarterback from a draft perspective. And I get it. Like, if you look at him, he's that prototypical NFL quarterback, at least as of 10 years ago. He's huge. He's 6'6". Um, and he he looks like what an NFL quarterback did, again, at least 10 years ago or the way Josh Allen does today. Um, but I don't love him, Brian. I really don't. Like, if you look at his numbers last year, he was number 49 in QBR behind Rocky Lombardi, Sean Clifford, and the aforementioned Emory Jones. That's not great. He was sacked on uh, nearly 8% of dropbacks, so 93rd in college football. Uh, again, not good. And and we do know now, right? Like, I know somebody's going to reach out to me and be like, well, like, isn't that on the offensive line? I mean, we know now that sacks are largely on quarterbacks, um, at least to at least more than we ever thought they were. Like that is something more controllable from a quarterback. So I, I don't like that. And, you know, we've talked about it earlier. I like quarterbacks who can run a little bit, especially in college football. And I think that's the way the game is moving. Like you, I don't think we're going to see too many. I mean, even Josh Allen is huge, but he can move. Like we're, we're not, we're not going to see Pey- I don't think we're seeing many more Peyton Mannings come out. Um, and so for all those reasons, I don't love Tanner McKee. Like I just, I don't like these statuesque quarterbacks. Um, so I I'm pretty down on Tanner McKee. I don't get me wrong. Like when you watch him, he has arm count. He makes some tight throws. He seems to have a pretty big arm, but even the way like their whole, their West coast offense, it's, it's a boring offense. He doesn't get the ball like 
down the field a whole lot. So I'm just pretty down on Stanford. I, I'm as down on Stanford as I am uh, on Tanner McKee. And I just, I don't think they're going to be very good last this year, just like they weren't last year on defense. Um, they were one of just 10 teams in the country with a sack percentage under 4%. So they were one of the 10 worst teams at actually getting home to the quarterback last year. And I don't see really what's going to change this year. Stanford doesn't really take transfers. They took one transfer um, at that position, you know, in, on, in the front, in the front seven, like true freshmen don't help you a whole lot. So I just don't know really what's going to change. Why should I expect this team to be significantly better this year? I think that's a totally fair point. I think that's a great point. I, I know you mentioned the quarterback theme for selling. I, I'm continuing it with Bo Nix at Oregon. I think like, it just feels like a really, really weird fit to me. It it, it doesn't add up. Like it, I, it when I saw the news come out and it, and it happened very quickly. Um, you just kind of like make a face, right? It's like, wait, Oregon? Like Oregon's supposed to have some some flashy quarterback, and and Bo Nix is, in my opinion, never really lived up to what he was supposed to be. Right? He cut the interceptions out a, a decent amount last year. Right, he only threw three last season, um, but he's never like taken over the games, and and maybe that's not what they plan to ask of him. But like, I feel like I was reading that it it just was a was a great marriage and made so much sense. And just looking at his game log from last year, right, like when he played good defenses at Penn State, they lost. He only threw for 185 yards, didn't throw for a touchdown. The next week. They only beat Georgia State by 10. He threw for 156 yards, didn't throw a touchdown. Like, he's not going out and winning games. He, he did throw for 200 yards against Georgia. Of course, that's a, a legendary defense, and they did pick him off, but but didn't throw for a touchdown. Texas A&M, another great defense, 153 yards, pick, no touchdowns. It seems like just on these games where you just – you need your quarterback to make some plays against good defenses for you to win, he has a history of not doing it. And so I, I, I just, the fit is weird to me. And, and also just like, I'm not ready to all of a sudden anoint him. Oh, you know, maybe, maybe it'll come together. I I have never seen anything that would indicate that, that that's going to happen just with a change of scenery. And so I'm selling my Bonex stock, which for the record, I was the proud owner of uh, when he first got the starting job at Auburn and quickly, quickly punted on that. Okay, so wait, I was going to ask you this because I had a memory. I thought you were very anti-Bo Nixon into Oregon in that game because I remember we were watching week one of that college football season together, and I remember I have this distinct memory of you being very devastated when Bo Nix uh, threw that touchdown pass. I was, and that's when I purchased my stock. I was oh, like, okay, oh, okay, this okay. guy's going to be a star. I was like, listen, he he kicked my ass. I'm I'm happy to admit it. Like, Oregon, I, I was like, I had chalked that up to a W, and he drove it down and shut me right up. And I was like, this guy's a big game player. I'm like fairly certain that was the last big play that Bonix made in a big game. So I think it's been a minute, and uh, I'm not – and so, I yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. Okay, I'm going to steal uh, a Bill Simmons thing for a Do second yeah. because there was a game, that Penn State game you mentioned last year, I think that was a Fox, I think it was a Fox Big Noon Saturday, no, nah, I don't know what it was, It would whatever, There was a, it was a big tel- telecast, right? It was either like a Fox Big Noon Saturday or an ESPN, like big time, maybe like an ABC, uh, that's what it was, I think. I think it was an ABC Saturday night. And at one point, they were like, Clifford, Knicks, next and it's like really the 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 inventory of games was a little low that week i would imagine and i remember that was like a bill simmons thing from way back in the day like his early sports guy page two days where he'd like make fun of those intros but (laughs) it is right like that doesn't excite me at all the name bo nix does not excite me at all when I hear it. Like that's not going to make me turn on the TV. Um, and that doesn't inspire much confidence that if I'm rooting or better yet betting on that team, that I'm going to feel pretty confident. Yeah. And, and like they might put up points, but I, that's what I mean by a weird fit. That's a, that's a good way to put it because like, I feel like over the years you get excited to turn on the Oregon offense and like watch these big plays and flashy fast guys. And like, 
Bo Nix is quarterback in that team? But I think, Brian, I will say I think that Mario Cristobal was the transition out of that. Like, they are now, they're like an SEC program. They want to be big. Like, that was Cristobal. Cristobal always like, big up front. That was his whole thing. Now, I mean, and with Joe Moorhead, I, I mean, I think Joe Moorhead's a great OC, and I think he's an exciting guy. But uh, now, again, where do they go to again? Uh, SEC defensive coordinator, um, Dan Lanning, right? Uh, they bring in. So th- this is, I think, this is the whole reason why Nix is there is that Kenny Dillingham is the OC, and he was the OC and quarterback coach in 2019 at Auburn, which was Nix's freshman year. So like, I think that's why this is all coming together. But I think you are seeing, like, I think in our minds, we will always think of Oregon as the Chip Kelly up tempo go for you know go for two uh early in the game it's always going to be eight nothing on that first touchdown and that's just not what they are anymore and and i don't think they're going to be that way for the foreseeable future like i can't imagine that dan lanning is going to have any other approach than to try to recreate an sec defense so i think we're seeing a shift from oregon yeah yeah i think that's a fair point i think it's a really fair point i'm trying to put uh, you know, Bonex throwing screen passes to all those great fast running backs they had back in the day. And that's not, that's not what it is anymore. That's a great call. All right. So let's, let's get positive here, Brian. What are you buying? So I, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it tight and toss it back to you. Cause we actually have similar buys. So I was buying Oregon state. I was buying specifically a name to remember, I think really for this season and in an upcoming NFL draft is Rajon Wright. He's a defensive back preseason second team. Um, some of our listeners might know him from last chance you fame, uh, where he, and he transferred from the Juco to Oregon state to play with his brother who was there. Um, so shout out to him cause he's the prototypical. He's like six, two corner. He's great. Um, but I think Oregon state as a whole was pesky. Uh, I think, you know, the, there's like a realistic chance that even after last season, they're better in all three phases. Um, and so I, I'm buying Oregon state kind of their overall trajectory. I like where they're going as a program. They tripped some teams up last year. And, um, and I know you have one player in particular you want to call out, but I think just in general, that's a program that is kind of laying the groundwork in my opinion, for sure. I think Jonathan Smith is doing doing more with less. I think he's he's doing a really good job there and making them relevant and interesting and, and a lot more interesting than they had been in years past. The player that I am buying is also a beeve and I want to call him out. Uh it's linebacker slash offensive playmaker Jack Coletto. So Coletto <laughs> is a six three former quarterback. He played quarterback at Oregon State. Uh but he's really, really more used in the running game now. They kind of line him up as like a wildcat quarterback at times. And last year against USC, he had two rushing touchdowns and he picked off a pass. And I love that, Brian. <laughs> I love like that's what's awesome about college football. You're never gonna see that in the NFL. And I think we need to celebrate that. Like this is a guy who is playing both sides of the ball. And I just think that's a ton of fun. And like that's what makes college football fun. And let's let's celebrate it. I love it. I love it. I would love to have a conversation with that guy. Like like off people who play exclusively offense know exactly when they're going on the field. People play exclusively defense know exactly when they're going on the field. He's just like, tell me when to come off or else I'm making an impact on every single snap of the game. It's amazing. And apparently he's going to get more involved on the defensive side this year too. Uh, he he only had eight tackles last year, but from what I've what I've been hearing, what I've been reading, he's gonna he's gonna get more involved. But like I don't want I don't want you to think that it was just like one good game. The guy had eight rushing touchdowns last year. He averaged five point three yards per carry. So like he is a threat. And uh, I just think it's something we got to celebrate. We got to celebrate the positive stuff. Yeah, and shout out to Oregon State too for like doubling down if you will this season i love that you're hearing that they're going to continue on it because it's like you find something that works and if he's game it sounds like he's having a blast doing it why not keep it going i love it so as we transition into our bets uh one of the things i want to talk about was oregon state so let's just let's just keep talking beeves here uh so their offense was great last year. I expect it to be really good again this year, and it's a lot of fun. However, their defense was not very good, and they fired their defensive coordinator midseason, promoted their uh, linebackers coach kind of with, with, let's say they had three regular season games to go and the bowl game, and 
you're going to hear a lot, everybody out there, you're going to hear a lot about how, you know, when he took over, they held Stanford to 14 points, they held Arizona State to 10 points, and he really changed the defense. And a lot of the talk this offseason is about how they want to be more aggressive. However, I think that they are going to be just as bad defensively, and they're going to risk giving up even more big plays because a more aggressive defense plus a lack of talent, which is something that Oregon State, they, they're just not a talented team, right? They, they're typically at the bottom of the Pac-12 recruiting rankings, around like 50th or so in the nation. They're like a BC-level recruiting program. Um, so I think they are going to give up a lot of points because what people aren't talking about at the end of that last season is against Oregon. Oregon scored, th- uh, they had four drives in the first half of that game. They scored three touchdowns and a field goal, and they were up 24 to three at halftime. And, you know, they kind of slowed down in the second half, but the game was over at halftime because they were able to score at will. And in that game, in the first half, uh, they had Oregon gain 10 yards or more on nearly 30% of their plays, including a 62 uh, or a 50 yard touchdown pass. And then in the bowl game, they lost to Utah State held them to 24 points, but gave up a 62-yard touchdown pass. And I think we're going to see more of that from Oregon State this year. If they truly are going to be a more aggressive defense with the talent that they have, they're going to give up some big plays. And I like their offense. So I think early in the season, there might be some opportunities for for Oregon State overs. So that's kind of my first thing that I'm really liking from a betting perspective. Um, let's let's go back and forth on this one. What do, what do you like from a betting perspective? Yeah, I like... Um... So this is this will actually segue really well, I think, into to one of yours. Um, we I've tended to try to find some some long long futures like Heisman futures, and Cam Rising's eighty to one to win the Heisman. And to me, if Utah's entering the season as a favorite and as a realistic college football playoff contender, which I think that they are, and particularly will be if Cam Rising's playing at a Heisman level. To me, that might be my favorite of all the the Heisman sprinkles I've said. I know I said Will Shipley at the ACC, and I was grasping at straws there, and I, I forget who I had in the Big 12, but I felt a little bit better about that one. But for me, Cam Rising, right, if, if Utah's going to get where it's going to go, that's the guy. And so if you can get the guy on a team that has a realistic hope at it at 80 to 1, I think he's got a real chance to be a finalist in New York, and, and I'm jumping all over that. I like it, Brian. I, I think it's good because I love Utah this year. And Cam Rising was the best quarterback in the conference from a QBR perspective last year. Utah, as an offense, really stepped things up uh, after he took over. From a run game perspective, they were second in the country, only behind Coastal Carolina in yards per carry. And they returned their their starting tailback, um, who is, a, I, I think he's first or either first or second team preseason all pack 12. Uh, let's see here. Let's, let's make sure we get it right. Yeah. He's first team. It's, it's him and Zach Charbonnet, Tavion Thomas, first team, all pack 12. And so I think their offense is going to be a real threat this year. They do lose some players on the defensive side of the ball, but I, if there's one thing we can trust about Kyle Whittingham and Utah, they're going to get it figured out defensively. So I am, I am all in on Utah this year, you know, USC, the best thing I think that could ever happen to Utah from a betting perspective is everything that that USC did this offseason. So I got three Utah bets that I'm liking. Plus 200 to win 10 games, plus 300 to win the conference, and then plus 500 to make the college football playoff. Wow. Does, Does an opener at Florida scare you? A little bit, but I think that they are. I was disappointed to see they're like kind of between a one and two point doll, uh, favorite, depending on where you look. I was hoping it would be like even, or maybe they would be just like an, a little bit of a you know home SEC type deal. They'd be they'd be a dog, sure. but I think like realistically, if they are going to be a if they're going to be a contender for the college football playoff, it's a game you have to win, Florida. In their fir- under first year head coach, not expected to do a whole lot. Like you have to beat a mid tier SEC team if you think you can be a college football playoff contender. And if they do, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, they're better for it, right? If they come out and show out, you're like, oh, okay. You know, you talk about Oregon being darling after an early season win last year. Like even though Florida is a middle of the pack team, if you go there to the swamp and win. 
people are going to be talking about you right away and you're going to be feeling good. So I, I, I'm with you on that one. Um, I love those bets. The last one I have for you today, bit of a spoiler earlier. I do. I like UCLA at 10 to 1 to win the conference. I think there's value there. You talked about it. You got into all the reasons why. Um, I love the experience too. I like DTR. I think they're rolling. Charbonnet looks really sharp at, at various points throughout last year. Um, so I think that's where the, the, the value comes if you're looking for a bit of a longer shot. Uh, obviously, I like all the Utah bets and I'm on the record for that. But if you're looking for a little bit of value, I think UCLA's got a real, real shot to play in the conference championship game. So if you can get that at 10 to 1 before the season, I think you got to do it. So that that's my other best bet. All right, I got one more for you. And it's Arizona under two and a half wins at plus 140. So look, anytime you're getting plus 140, it's a little bit of a gamble, but that's that's what we're here to do. We're here to gamble. Um, and I, I like that under two and a half wins. And a lot of this is a schedule bet. So I don't know what Arizona was doing from a scheduling perspective because they just have a wild schedule to start the year. So they go at San Diego State week one. I already mentioned opening a brand new stadium at San Diego State. Mississippi State at home week two, and then they have North Dakota State coming into town week three. And to me, that looks like a, a recipe for 0-3 uh, because, I mean, how how often North Dakota State doesn't barely get the chance anymore to play FBS teams because they beat them too often. And, like, if I had to guess, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they're favored in that game. I wouldn't be shocked if North Dakota State's favored or it's going to be within a touchdown. Like if they're not, it's going to be within a touchdown and I'm going to be all over Jump North on Dakota those. State. Yeah, all jump over on North those Dakota points. State points and money line. So I am liking um, for Arizona under two and a half wins. I'm liking North Dakota State when they come to town on the money line and the points if they're getting points. Um, and then we'll have to see what that actually is when the time comes. But I, I just don't think Arizona is going to be much better this year. And uh, I like the I like the juice, the, the plus 140, I like the juiced odds. And, you know, like Phil Steele is really big on, well, they had a bad turnover margin and like that automatically means they're going to be better. Well, Sometimes you're a bad team and bad teams turn the ball over. And I think their quarterback situation will certainly be better this year with Delora coming over from Washington State. Um, but they still just don't have a lot of talent there. And I think like that 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 schedule early, if they go 0-3 early, it could be really demoralizing for them. And then they they also have a stretch later of the season where they go Oregon at home, at Washington, USC at home at Utah, at UCLA. So realistically, I see like there's a couple spots that they have to, they, that North Dakota state game is so big for them from a, from that over under perspective. So if they go, zero and three to start that season in the non-con, I don't see any way they, they get three wins. I just don't see it on the schedule. Yeah, no, I think that's a great call. I I was stunned to see North Dakota State. You, like, I feel like most of the FBS learned their lesson, and it seems like Jed Fish, you know, he thinks he's he's bigger than that, and I think it was a mistake. So I I love that bet for you. Great job. All right, man. Well, that's it. That's the West Coast. Got anything else before we get out of here? No, that's all I got. I, I California, here we come. Let's play some Pac-12 football. <laughs> all right. Well, that's our show. We'll be back next week to talk some Big Ten football. And until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. <laughs>